going? I think we can go, yeah. Yeah, right Just about the corner. Why don't you just log in again? Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. Apologies for the, the slight delay. <laughs> That's what we're calling it, a slight delay. But um, I actually feel a bit better now because the last two weeks I kind of mashed up my live recordings from Saudi Arabia and I didn't have a team and... So I actually feel quite good about that now. At least I started on time. It was upside down, but at least it was on time. So um, it just shows uh, that these guys, mashallah, do an amazing job. They, they work very, very hard. May Allah Azza wa Jal reward them. Okay, so let's, uh, inshallah, get cracking. The last couple of weeks, um, I was away, obviously, but we started with the tafsir of Surah Al-Qari'ah, and we covered the introduction to the surah on the first three verses. And essentially, those three verses are, as we said, a type of repetition which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is focusing on Yawmul Qiyamah by mentioning a specific attribute, a specific description of that day, and that is the name of the surah and the first verse, Al-Qari'ah, which means the crashing blow. And we spoke about that at some length and um, you know, some, some, uh, some detail concerning what the scholars of Tafsir say concerning Al-Qari'ah, and then also the repetition of that in verses two and three. So one of the things, for example, that we mentioned last week is the statement of uh, it's attributed to Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah to Sufyan ibn Uyayna rahimahullah the famous scholar uh, al-bayan Muhammad al-Amin al-Shawqiti mentions it as well and that is the difference between when Allah Azza wa Jalla in the Quran says wa ma adraka and wa ma yudrika and how they say that Allah Azza wa Jalla often in the Quran when he says wa ma adraka he often explains goes on to explain what it is that he is asking the question about. Whereas, as opposed to وَمَا yudrika, when it is mentioned in the Quran, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often doesn't go on to explain or give an answer. So for example, when Allah says concerning يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّ السَّاعَةَ تَكُونُ قَرِيبًا And what will let you know that perhaps the hour is closer at hand. Allah doesn't then go on to explain about when the hour is, will come or the timing of it. He just moves on to a different topic. Whereas when in the Quran Allah says وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ as in Surah Qari'ah, as in Surah Waqi'ah, as in Surah, uh, sorry, Surah Haqa, as in Surah Al-Fitar, other parts of the Quran where you have the وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ and actually it occurs twice in Surah Qari'ah 
then Allah will give you uh, an answer to that or he will give some explanation and detail concerning it. And that's a very interesting um, principle of tafsir. One of the ways that those scholars of tafsir used to make tafsir is what we call istiqra. And istiqra is simply deduction by reading. So you read the whole of the Quran or you read if it's a book or a book of hadith or a book of fiqh or what, are, what the scholars write concerning a topic and you're deducing just basically from reading and noticing patterns. Just realizing what the patterns are that emerge and then you deduce them. That is called in Arabic istiqra. And it's one of the ways that the scholars uh, give principles in the Quran, in the Sunnah and so on. You find that this is something which, um, which they do. So that's the last couple of weeks. Uh, those were the first three verses of Surah Al-Qari'ah. We are now on, inshallah, verse number four. I was going to say four and five, but I think it will probably just be four. Um, and that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now goes on to answer. So we have Al-Qari'ah, Mal-Qari'ah, Wa Ma'adraka, Mal-Qari'ah. Now is the answer. Allah Azza wa Jal says, يَوْمَ يَكُونُ النَّاسُ كَالْفَرَاشِ الْمَبْثُوثِ On a day when people will be like scattered moths. Will be like scattered moths. That is the translation of Abdul Harim. In Muhsin Khan, it is a day whereon mankind will be like moths scattered about. Mufti Taqi, on a day when people will be like scattered moths. Sahih International, it is the day when people will be like moths dispersed. So they're more or less the same. Pictol adds a day wherein mankind will be as thickly scattered moths. So Allah Azza wa mentions this uh, as Ibn Atiyah says, the yawm in this verse, the day, is the answer to the previous questions. What is qari'ah? What is qari'ah? When, what will allow you to know what is qari'ah? Yawma, it is a day. Right? And that then supports the opinion of tafsir as we mentioned over the last couple of weeks of those scholars who say that Al-Qari'ah is a name from the names of the Day of Judgment, as opposed to the other opinion, which was what? That it's referring to the blowing of the trumpet. And we said that the difference between the two is minimal. Yawma, it is the day upon which the people will emerge, meaning that they come out from their graves, that they will be resurrected. And Allah describes them as Al-Farash Al-Mabthuth, scattered moths. There is a similar verse to this in Surah Al-Qamar, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the beginning, the opening passage of Surah Al-Qamar, Allah says, eyes downcast, they will come out of their graves like swarming locusts. So again, Allah is speaking about resurrection, emerging from the graves on that day. But this time Allah describes people like, Swarming locusts. Whereas in this verse in Surah Al-Qari'ah, they are described like scattering, scattered moths. And Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions both verses. When he speaks about the tafsir of this verse in Surah Al-Qari'ah, and he says that the difference between the two is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gives both descriptions. He says both of them apply to Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the resurrection and how people will emerge from their graves. Both of them are descriptions of how people will stand on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. He says the difference between the two is that the verse in Surah Al-Qari'ah is how they will first emerge from their graves. Whereas the verse from Surah Al-Qamar is how then they will later regroup themselves and how they will behave later. So Allah is describing people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah by mentioning two natural phenomena, right? two things that we can see in nature. 
The first is they will emerge like scattered moths. Scattered moths meaning that they will emerge without any direction, not knowing where to go. Simply, as, and as we will mention this as we go on to the different um, statements of the scholars of tafsir as to what it means by them being scattered, they will be hitting one another, bumping into one another, falling over one another with no clear sense of direction, not knowing where to go, what is their purpose, to what are they going to. So they're like scattered moths everywhere and anywhere, in every direction. And because they're anywhere and everywhere and in every direction, they are literally hitting one another. And they will be so vast in number because they will be billions and billions of people that they will literally be everywhere, like scattered moths when they first emerge. Imam al-Qurtubi says, then later on, they will become like swarming locusts. What is, what is the change? What will happen? What Allah then mentions in the verse in Surah Al-Qamar. They come out of their graves like swarming locusts. Then Allah says, Listening to the summon of the caller. Meaning that they will be called by a caller on that day to come towards the accounting. To stand before Allah. So then they become like locusts. What's the difference between scattered moths and swarming locusts? Right? Locusts have a purpose. They're going, right? So you know, like we have these um, at the moment, I think there's some locust plagues in like certain countries in Africa. I think it was in Afghanistan and Pakistan as well recently I read. But anyway, in, in certain parts of the world, you have locusts when they come out, they go for food, right? They're literally going in a direction and they're flying together rather than mats which are moths which are scattered everywhere going in every, any direction. Locusts know where they're going, they have a straight line because they're going for food. That is the difference between the two. So Imam Al-Qurtubi says, and it's a very nice way that he makes his tafsir, at the beginning this is how people will emerge, like moths not knowing where they're going, which direction, what it is that they're trying to get to, what is their aim. But then Allah will send a call or a call will be made on that day, calling people. And so when that call is made, they will submit to the caller. They will respond to the caller and then they become like locusts, meaning now they move in a single direction. Now they know where it is that they are going. And Allah Azza wa knows best. And Imam al-Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, al-farash al-mabthuth means that they will be scattered, dispersed, everywhere. Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala said, he said, al-farash, is you, the insects that are attracted to light or fire. Right? Moths are known to be attracted to light. Right? And I try to um, do very quickly, like nothing detailed, but just some research as to why moths are attracted so much to light and fire. And I couldn't really find anything, to be honest. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. And I'm not David Attenborough, so I, don't, I can't make anything up either. So. But it seems like there is something about them. Some of them said, oh, it's the, it's the way that they sense direction. It's the way that they understand movement and how they, whatever. But I don't, I don't really know what the actual reason is. But they are attracted to fire. And this is something mentioned by the early scholars of Tafsir, Qatada, Hassan al-Basri, Muqatil, and others say, it is that type of insect that flies and it's attracted to, to light. Muqatil, rahimahullah ta'ala, said that they will come out of their graves and they will fall upon one another and they will hit one another. And that is why Allah described them as scattered moths. And he describes them as scattered moths also because of their vast number. And in the second verse, like locusts, because a swarm or a plague of locusts 
means that there are literally millions and millions of them. Right? It is to show their vast numbers as well. And Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said, he says that Al-Qari'ah is the day upon which people will emerge like moths. And moths are those insects that are attracted to fire and they fall within the fire. Right? And that is also you know, a very nice correlation between the two things because one thing that moths are known for is that they go to light or they go to fire and they don't just stop. The heat doesn't like, you know, push them away, they actually fall in and they die, right? And obviously, the vast majority of creation on Yom Al-Qiyamah will be from the people of the fire, right? They will be the majority on that day. He said the farash, the moth, is not a fly, nor is it a mosquito, right? So he's obviously giving an explanation for the people of that time who perhaps, you know, didn't understand the differences between all of these different types of insects. And he says, Al-Mabthuth means that they will be scattered and they will be dispersed, meaning that there will be a great number of them. He says, and this is the position of the scholars of tafsir. And to be honest, most of them kind of agree with this. And Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his sahih, he says, Al-Farash al-Mabthuth is like the scattered locusts, so like the scattered moths that climb over one another. Because that is how the people will emerge from their graves. They will literally be trampling, climbing, over, clambering over one another. And Imam Ibn Hajar, Al-Hafidh Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his sharh, in his explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari, when he comes to the statement of Imam al-Bukhari, he says, and the reason why people on the Day of Judgment are likened two moths that are scattered and dispersed, he says, is not just because of one reason, but for many reasons. There are many comparisons and many, many parallels between them. He said, number one, in terms of number, moths, locusts are known to be massive in numbers when they first emerge. He said, likewise, the people of the Day of Judgment, when they emerge, will be many in number. The way that they will spread out, when you see a, lo a swarm of locusts, I don't know if you've ever seen that on TV or on YouTube, it is literally something which covers the horizon. Like they can literally darken the sky because of their vast numbers, right? And that's how many they are. And that's how widespread they become. And so Imam, Imam Ibn Hajar Taala, he says, that is another similarity because the people when they come out will be vast in number, right? They will be billions upon billions of them as they come out. So their number, their, the way that they will spread, the way that they will then disperse. So they will be many in number, they will come out, they will disperse everywhere, meaning that they will fill the land. Also their weakness, because on that day they will be weak as the moth is weak. Because a moth by itself is very weak. It is not a strong insect, doesn't have much strength, doesn't have much power, doesn't really have anything to defend itself with. It is, it is, it is weak. And that is another comparison. He says another comparison is that they will be humble. Humble, like the moth is a humble insect. Moth isn't generally considered to be, even a locust, not considered to be a nice insect. It's not like a butterfly or, you know, one of those other insects that people kind of like or that you want to keep as a pet maybe or something. Moths aren't really something which people, and that is something that they are almost humiliated, humbled and so on. That is how people will be on the day of judgment. He says, and that they go in a single line, that they move without going back. They all follow, it's like a flock. Moths, locusts, they go together. You don't see half of them going, actually, we'll go that way. We're gonna go right, we're gonna go left. They follow together like a swarm. All of them go in a single direction. And he says, and they go 
with speed. And that is how the people will emerge on the day they will come out with speed and they will, uh, they will clamber over one another, he says, like the moths clamber over one another, and they fly towards the fire. They will be attracted towards the fire. And as we said, the majority of people on that day will be from the people of the fire. Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, said that the moth is the, is the insect that is, that is small and that is attracted to light and fire. And even when it reaches the fire, it doesn't stop and prevent itself from falling in. It doesn't have that defense mechanism to think it's fire, it's going to kill me, it's going to destroy me. But in fact, it just carries on and it falls within the fire. And he says the example of this is from the hadith of the Prophet wasallam, the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu an, collected in Sahih al-Bukhari. The Prophet sallam said, إِنَّمَا مَثَلِي وَمَثَلُ النَّاسِ كَمَثَلِي رَجُلٍ إِسْتَوْقَدَ نَارًا the example of me and the example of all of the people is like a man who lights a fire. And then when that light or that fire illuminates what is around it, then the moths and all of these insects that are attracted to light and fire, they begin to fall within the fire. So this man then tries to stop them warns them away from the fire, but they overcome him, overpower him. There are too many and they fall within the fire. So the Prophet ﷺ said, so I am the one that is trying to prevent you from falling within the fire and the people are climbing over me. There are too many of them and they continue to insist on falling into the fire. And that is a nice uh, you know, parallel or correlation between this verse and the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ because he uses the same example of the moths. The Prophet ﷺ is the one trying to hold people back from the fire, but the nature of the moth is that it is so heavily attracted and it is so vast in number that many of them continue to fall in the fire irrespective of this. Right? And that shows subhanAllah Allah's amazing creation, that this is an insect that doesn't even learn from the experience of others. Right? It doesn't see all of these other moths being destroyed. It's just programmed that way that it's attracted to light. It's attracted to, you know, in, in olden times before they had light fire would be their equivalent. And so it's attracted to that and it goes until it, it sometimes reaches its demise. Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala said and some of the scholars said when the people first stand from their graves and are raised on the day of judgment will be like scattered moths because they will come and they will go without any order and then they will be summoned by the caller and they will go towards the land of accounting the land of gathering, and that is when they will become like swarming locusts because the locust is the one that understands its goal. It knows where it is going, it knows what it needs to do. Al-Imam ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, said something similar. He said that al-Farash al-Mabthuth, the scattered moths, describes how they will be widespread and dispersed and how they will come and go without having any particular direction. And that is how Allah describes the people emerging from their graves as they first emerge on the Day of Judgment. And Al-Imam Al-Razi said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he says, Kal Farash al-Mabthuth. Kal Farash, the calf, is for similarity, right? They will be like. The like here in English is the calf in Arabic. Kal Farash al-Mabthuth, they will be like. He says that Allah Azza wa uses the calf because on that day, they will be worse than the moths. 
Razi says, they are worse than moths because moths are not punished. But these people will be going towards their punishment. And he says, it's like when Allah Azza wa describes other people as cattle, kal an'am, balhum adal, or rather they are more astray. Because the cattle follows and it goes astray and whatever, but it's not ordered to seek guidance. People are worse because they are commanded to seek guidance. Likewise, on Yom Al-Qiyamah, these people will be worse than the moths which fall into the fire and they are destroyed, but they are not punished. They don't, they're not living there for eternity. They're not constantly punished. They're not, but these people will be. It will be their eternal punishment and yet still they will fall within it. This verse and also the next verse that we will discuss, Allah what he does is when he asks or when he speaks about Al-Qari'ah, he gives two descriptions of that day before he then carries on. One of them is to do with, the, with mankind, with people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, and the second is to do with his creation and how creation or how the universe on that day will change. Right? And that's the verse, the next verse, verse number five, which is about the mountains. So you have one verse that speaks about the state of the people and one verse that speaks about the state of the world or the universe in general. And that is how Allah Azza wa speaks about these, uh, or speaks about the, this description of Qari'ah, how he explains Al-Qari'ah. Both of them are snippets of a much larger, uh, a much larger event in both regards. So the coming and the emergence of people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, this is just the beginning. Right? It's just the beginning. They emerge like scattered moths. But there is far, far more to it than just the emergence of scattered moths. That is the description that Allah Azza wa gives without going into the rest of the detail. And likewise, in verse number five, when Allah speaks about the mountains and how they will uh, turn into, into almost like cotton and wool, that is also a description of a part of what will happen to the world as we know it on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So when Allah speaks in verse number four of the people being emerged or emerging as scattered moths, we know from the Sunnah that on, and, and from the Quran that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah there will be two blowings of the trumpet. As Allah Azza wa mentions in the Quran, مُنُفِخَ فِي الصُّورِ فَصَعِقَ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِلَّا مَنْ شَاءَ اللَّهِ The trumpet will be blown, everything in the heavens and the earth except that which Allah wills, will fall unconscious. ثُمَّ نُفِخَ فِيهِ أُخْرَى And then a second blowing of the trumpet will be made. فَإِذَا هُمْ قِيَامٌ يَنْظُرُونَ and then all of them will be standing resurrected, waiting again. So we know that there is two. In the hadith of Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, collected in Bukhari and Muslim. He said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, the time or the distance or the length of time between the two blowings of the trumpet will be 40. Will be 40. The narrator said, I asked Abu Huraira, oh Abu Huraira, do you mean 40 days? He said, abate, I refuse. He said, do you mean it is 40 months? He said, abate, I refuse. He said, do you mean 40 years? He said, abate, I refuse. Refuse what? Why, why does he say refuse? Specify. To specify, meaning I don't know. The Prophet said 40. Is it 40 days, 40 months, 40 years? He says, I refuse, I can't tell you, I don't know. Allahu alam, I don't know. Some hadith like uh, are general. But it does show you an interesting thing about the companions that when they're given, see it's the narrator that's asking Abu Huraira, what do you mean by 40? But Abu Huraira never asked the Prophet 
And you find this often in the Sunnah. The Prophet when he would speak about something and even general, from the tarbiyah that the Prophet gave to his companions, is not to ask excessively. If it's something you need to know, I will tell you. And so you don't find that, right? You find it in the hadith where the Bedouin man comes and he doesn't understand that etiquette or he doesn't understand that principle or you have someone who's a, a visitor or a delegate from... You don't get it from the companions who are, you know, the ones close to the Prophet his major students, the, you know, the major companions. So Abu, Abu Hurairah never asked. And, you know, even though he probably wanted to know, he probably maybe wanted to ask and wanted... It's a common question. It's the most instinctive question that you have when someone says 40... You'd ask, what is that, 40 days, hours, months, years? But he doesn't ask. It's the narrator that asks. And Abu Hurairah says, I don't know. I refuse, meaning I refuse to specify because it wasn't specified to me. Allah Azza wa also in the Quran, he describes the way that people will be resurrected. Allah says in Surah Al-A'raf, verse number 57, الرِّيَاحَ بُشْرًا بَيْنَ يَدِي رَحْمَتِهِ حَتَّى إِذَا أَقَلَّتْ سَحَابًا it is Allah who sends the winds bearing good news of his coming grace. And when they have gathered up the heavy clouds, we drive them to a dead land where we cause rain to fall, bringing out all kinds of crops, just as we shall bring out the dead, will you not reflect? Meaning that just as rain will descend from the, or does descend from the sky, to bring vegetation and plantation from the ground, it is rain again that will descend, that will allow the people to emerge from their grave, to come and be resurrected from their grave. And this is mentioned more explicitly in the hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, also the hadith of Abu Hurair radiallahu an, the same hadith that we mentioned of the, the 40, the time or the length between the two blowings of the trumpet being 40, the hadith continues in one narration and, and then the Prophet said, then Allah Azza wa Jal will cause a rain to descend and the people will sprout just as vegetation sprouts upon the ground. For there is nothing from a person except that it disintegrates within the grave except for a single bone and that is the tailbone. Right, it has a more technical term than that. The coccyx. Coccyx. Sakallah, we have a science teacher here. But for the rest of us, a tailbone. And it is from that that the people will be recreated on the Day of Judgment. And I think that coccyx is basically, is it the end of the spine? Right at the bottom of the spine. Everything else is, is disintegrates within the earth except that. That's all that remains. And it is from that that Allah Azza wa will cause people to be recreated on the Day of Judgment from a rain that Allah Azza wa will cause to descend on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And then that is when the people will be will be resurrected and be made to stand. And there are two types of gatherings on the Day of Judgment. The gathering that is general for everyone, the way that everyone will be raised on that day, as Allah mentions in this verse in Surah Qari'ah, in the verse that we mentioned in Surah Al-Qamar. And then there is a specific gathering for the believers and the disbelievers, once they have emerged and once everyone has come out of their graves. As for the general one, the Prophet ﷺ told us in the famous hadith of Aisha, Anha, the hadith al-Bukhari and Muslim, she said that I heard the Prophet said that the people on the day of judgment will be resurrected barefoot, naked, uncircumcised. So I said, O Messenger of Allah, men and women will be like that. Won't they look at one another? The Prophet said, O Aisha, the affair on that day will be graver 
more serious than for people to worry about how other people appear on that day. Meaning that that will be the first, furthest thing from their mind because of the terrors and the fear that they will have on Yawm Al-Qiyamah as we've mentioned before in the different verses of the Qur'an. And then Allah Azza wa in the Qur'an also speaks about a specific gathering, a specific way that people gather and stand on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and He differentiates between the believers and the disbelievers, the people of paradise and the people of the fire. So for the people of, or the believers and the people of Jannah, Allah Azza wa Jal says, يُحْشَرُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ يَوْمَ نَحْشُرُ الْمُتَّقِينَ إِلَى الرَّحْمَانِ وَفْتَى In Surah Maryam, verse 85, On the day we gathered the righteous as an honored company before the Lord of mercy. So the people of, of, of the believers on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, their gathering, their standing is one which is honored. Right? They're the ones who are given shade on the day of judgment. They're the ones who are protected. They're the ones who are clothed. They're the ones who are honored. They're the ones who are given peace and tranquility and serenity. They're the ones that Allah Azza wa veils their sins. And even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to speak to some of them about their sins, He veils them from the rest of creation. And Allah speaks to them privately so as not to expose their sins. And then Allah Azza wa forgives them and pardons them and shows them mercy just as He veiled their sins in this life. As opposed to the disbelievers who Allah Azza wa describes their resurrection on Yawm Al-Qiyam and He says, for example, in Surah Al-Isra, verse 97, 98, On the day of resurrection, we shall gather them, lying on their faces, blind, dumb, and deaf. How fire will be their home? Whenever the fire goes down, we shall make it blaze more fiercely for them. And likewise, in Surah Maryam, verse 86, and we will drive the sinful like a thirsty herd into hell. So whereas the believers are honored, the believers are allowed to gather in an honorable, respectful, calm, peaceful way, the disbelievers are gathered like animals, like herds, and they are driven, not gathered, but driven forcibly to their place of accounting and then to the fire. Allah Azza wa says in Surah Taha, Verse 102, When the trumpet is sounded and we gather the sinful sightless. And likewise in Surah Fussilat, verse number 19, And on the day when Allah's enemies are gathered up for the fire and they are driven onward. In the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu, also in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, that a man said, O Messenger of Allah, how will people will be resurrected? How will they be resurrected on their faces on the Day of Judgment? How can a person be resurrected, meaning made to walk or move on their face? The Prophet said to him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is not the one who allowed the, the, a person to walk on their legs in this life, is he not able to make them walk on their faces on the Day of Judgment? Is not the one who gave them the ability to walk on their legs in this life? also able to make them walk on their faces on the Day of Judgment. And not only that, but Allah Azza wa tells us in the Qur'an that even the animals, the birds, the fish, everything will be resurrected on the Day of Judgment. Insects, all of them are resurrected. So it's not just people and humans and jinn of which there is a vast, you know, almost countless unknown number, but then the animals and the birds and the insects and all of those creations are also resurrected on the day of judgment. As Allah Azza wa mentions in the Quran, Surah An'am, 
verse 38 وَمَا مِنْ دَابَةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا طَائِرٍ يَطِيرُ بِجَنَاحَيْهِ إِلَّا أُمَمٌ أَمْثَالُكُمْ مَا فَرَّطْنَا فِي الْكِتَابِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ ثُمَّ إِلَى رَبِّهِمْ يُحْشَرُونَ All the creatures that crawl on the earth and those that fly with their wings are communities like yourselves. We have missed nothing out of this record. In the end, they will be gathered to their Lord. So they will be gathered also to their Lord. And we know from the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that Allah will even judge between the animals. And he will right the wrongs between them until the horned animal that struck and injured the unhorned animal unjustly, oppressively, Allah will judge between them and right their wrongs. And there is no punishment. Allah will destroy all of them afterwards. There is no Jannah or Hellfire. But that is from Allah's perfect justice and Allah's wisdom that he will even sort out their affairs amongst themselves. And that is from the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it shows you how crowded that day will be. Can you imagine like you know, anyone that's been for hajj or in a large gathering or you go to the stoning or tawaf or sa'i when it's extremely busy and it's almost suffocating because of the amount of sheer numbers there are. Yawm al-Qiyamah is far worse because you have all of the people from the time of Adam to the last person and then you have everything else that Allah created, all on a single plane, at a single time, at a single place, standing. And that is why, you know, on that day, there's no place for anyone to sit or rest or lie down. People will stand on that day, a length of which is 50,000 years. And that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions. And so when you bring those verses of the Qur'an together, those ahadith together, and you just picture what we have in the Qur'an and Sunnah concerning the Day of Judgment, and its terrors, even if you don't go into the, the details of what Allah mentions about how they will sweat and how the sun will be close to them and how Allah Azza wa will do this or that, just that simple standing, the sheer numbers and the sheer crowds on that day is enough for us to imagine how difficult that day will be. May Allah Azza wa make it easy for us and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us shade on that day of judgment. Okay, I think we should... We should, we should stop here. It's not been a long lesson, but it's been a long session. So inshallah ta'ala, any questions? Yeah. It's different. So when the companions say the Prophet never did something or he always did something, that's not really istiqra. Istiqra comes from the word qara'a, to read, right? So when Aisha says she, he, the Prophet never did something or companion says that, that's based upon her knowledge of him, what she saw of him. The reason why I say it is because there's also a hadith, she also narrates a hadith where the Prophet and she narrates that the Prophet prayed more. Yeah. But obviously if she's narrating both, yeah. but that's not called istiqra though. That's still not called istiqra. Istiqra is basically when you you recognize the pattern from reading everything within a science, right? So you make you make you know like for example the scholars of tafsir often do that, right? So when Al Hasan Basri rahimahullah taala said, uh, for example, that Allah Azza wa Jal promises was it Hasan Basri? I think Hasan Basri who says when Allah Azza wa Jal promises over and over again in the Quran that Allah will provide for His servants. And only Shaytan Iblis once mentions in the Quran that people will be poor if they obey Allah. And we believe in Iblis's promise and we forget Allah's many promises. That's istiqra. He's noticed a pattern from reading over and over again, right? For example, what we said before 
um, that the scholars say that every every surah that has a sajda is a Makki surah. Right? That's istiqra. That's from reading. There's no hadith that says that. There's no, but that's from just noticing something from reading. That is called istiqra. Right? So istiqra is slightly different. And in the time of the companions, you don't really have istiqra. Because no one companion has all of that knowledge um, of the Prophet ﷺ because not everyone had, you know, was privy to every single incident. But it's something which scholars do later on. You often find it in fiqh when there are principles and, and hadith and so on. That one of the ways that they do that is istiqra, just by noticing that it's rarely ever done any other way. Any questions? Is there any questions online? Nothing? Just typos? <laughs> okay. No, there is a question. Aisha's hadith, Prophet said he would say when went to bread every night, he would hold his, hold his hands together and blow into them and recite ikhlas and falaq and nas. Then he would wipe over whatever he could of his body, starting with the side of the face and front of his body. He would do that three times. Yeah, it means that you do both three times. You read the surah once and you wipe over yourself. Then read again, wipe over yourself. Then read a third time, wipe over yourself. So it's three times that you're reading, three times that you're wiping over yourself. What do you mean? You mean the, the space? The space, yeah. When, when you said um, people would be scattered like moths, would they be heading towards that area? Is that what the description from Okay, so the question is how do we link the, um, the resurrection with the standing on the plain of Arafah? And, and, and so, um, I don't know, do you mean in terms of the space, like Arafah is limited in space and you have so many people, or do you mean? People will already be there. So the people that will be gathered on the, towards the land of gathering, that's the final sign of the Day of Judgment. So the fire that emerges, the Prophet said that the, f the final sign is the fire, the great fire that will gather the people from the east and the west towards the land of gathering. And they will be the final people upon whom Yom Al-Qiyamah is established. And the Prophet said they will be the worst of people. All the pe believers have already passed away. There's no believers left on earth. These are the worst of people. And these are the ones that the trumpet will be blown upon, meaning that they're the last ones living when Yom Al-Qiyamah is established. Right? So people are already gathering there, those that are alive. Then as for everyone else, that's when, they, when, when, when they're resurrected, they stand. And whether they stand from all over the world and then they come towards that place, Allahu Alam, I don't know. Or whether everyone just stands there on that land of gathering. But remember also that the earth has changed on that day. It's not the earth that we understand. So even though they're coming towards a single location, it's not the location as we understand it. Allah says, That day the earth and the heavens will be changed from the earth and heavens that you know. And Allah knows best. Okay. Yeah, so Niaz is asking questions. If the companions wouldn't ask questions, how should a student ask questions? The difference between the two is the companions were told not to ask excessive questions because they live at a time of legislation. So the sharia is still being revealed. So when the 
companions ask excessive questions or questions that may lead to an answer that makes things difficult, it's not just for me or for you, it is for the whole ummah. Right? Like the example of the miswak or the example of the companion who said, or oh, Messenger of Allah is Hajj obligatory every year. The Prophet said, if I were to say yes, he would be. And he wouldn't be able to do it. Right? Forget the coronavirus. He wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't be able to go and do that every year. And so don't ask me, the Prophet said, if I leave you alone, don't ask me. So the companions understood that. That's the difference between that and between us, because obviously there's no revelation, nothing changes in the Sharia, and the Sharia is fixed. The similarity between us and them is in asking excessive questions that are unnecessary, number one. Or number two, knowing when and how to ask a question. Sometimes a question isn't appropriate in a certain setting. Right? And Ibn Qayyim mentions this in his Ulam al which is one of his amazing books on usul and Imam al-Shatibi mentions this in his Muwafaqat uh, and so on. That sometimes when a question, they go through four stages of a questioner and a teacher in terms of questions. Sometimes a question is asked because the person wants to know the answer, but it's not in the benefit of the teacher to answer the question and vice versa. Sometimes the teacher needs to answer a question, but it's not being asked by anyone. Sometimes it's in the benefit of both and sometimes it's not in the benefit of any. There's four different stages. The problem is sometimes you ask excessive questions that aren't relevant, it's not the right time, it's not the right place, it's not the right setting, you know, it's, it's just frivolous, doesn't really have any benefit and so on. There is a whole, there is, scholars destroy books on adab al-mufti wal-mustafti, the etiquettes of the one giving fatwa and the one requesting a fatwa. There were whole books that were written on these topics, even in the books that speak about the etiquettes of seeking knowledge, they speak about the etiquettes of asking questions and how it's done and how to understand. And so for example, when you ask a question, you don't ever personalize the question. You always have a general. Don't personalize it. You don't ask about questions that require detailed sitting like divorce and marriage and inheritance. Those aren't questions that, you know, someone comes and says, oh, Sheikh, I did this and this happened to me. It's not a question you can ask in the class. That's something you need to sit with the husband and the wife and the family and it's a whole different discussion. So there are many things in terms of, uh, but what it doesn't mean is that you don't ask about those things that you need to know about. So for example, you have a question on salah, you have a question on your business, you have a question about traveling, and you need to know the answer, you always ask those questions as the companions would do when they need it. What they were told not to do is to ask those questions that are unnecessary, that if they sometimes become known to them, especially at the time of legislation, it becomes problematic for them. As Allah says, لا تسألوا إن تبدلكم تسؤكم. Don't ask about those things. If they become apparent for you, they will be harmful to you. Because the Sharia, you make your life harder for yourself during that time. And Allah knows best. Okay, inshallah, I'll see you guys next week. Next week, we're starting at 7.50, inshallah, because Isha is moving further back. So as Isha moves back, we're moving our class accordingly, inshallah. So 7.50 is when we start. Isha next week is here, 7.30, I think. 30. Yeah, anyway, Jazakumullah khair. Wa sallam bin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.